Our reading today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and is on page 181 of your church Bibles. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to, your, your, to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreign residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, The Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord has proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from the out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, All the leaders of your tribes and all your elders came to me. And you said, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live, even if God speaks with them. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire, as we have and survived. Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. 
Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what the people said to you. Everything that they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go, tell them to return to their tents. But you, stay here with me, so that I may give you all the commands, decrees and laws that you are to teach them, to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. Well, thank you, Stephen and Colin. Uh, It's good to be with you this morning as we look at uh, what is one of the most famous parts of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, The Ten Commandments. Uh, It's a great opportunity to think about its place for Israel and also its place for us who live after Jesus. Well, just to bring us up to speed where we are, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Um, God had brought them out. Then that generation um, annoyed God, to put it mildly, And God sent them wandering around the desert for 40 years and um, destroyed that whole generation of adults that was around at the time. And now Israel is poised to go into this uh, great and good land, the promised land, and Moses is getting them ready. He's giving them various speeches to help them get ready. And he's saying it's really important that they remember God and they follow God, um, as Colin talked about last week. For example, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Moses says, See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. We'll hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So their job is to obey their laws and through that, the world will see and the world will know what it's like. And so, having said, you must obey it, Moses tells them uh, the basis of that agreement. Uh, 4 verse 13 um, gives us in more detail. He, that is God, declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. So when we see the word covenant, uh, obviously, sometimes a bit of a confusing word, Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't think there are any lawyers here, so I'll feel free to tell you what it means. Um, It means something like a contract or an agreement. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean just because I'm saying it's an agreement. Ah, there's a lawyer. Um, Just because I'm saying it's an agreement uh, doesn't mean it's two-sided. It can be very much a, you shall do this, uh, which is the nature of this sort of agreement. God is saying, um, you shall do this. So um, having reminded them that uh, the Israelites, as they needed to obey... Uh, God tells them what they need to do, reminds them what the covenant is. And as he talks about the covenant, he says, notice that it's with you. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 3. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Moses is almost overstating the point, isn't it? He did make it with those people then. They were the ones who were there. 
Um, but Moses says, just, just to get the point across, it was not with them, it was with you. Um, those people can't sit there and say, well, I didn't have a choice in this, I was just a child. Moses says, it's with you. We can't pass the buck. They can't just say, oh, look, I'm not interested, thanks. Moses says, it's with you. They didn't choose God, God chose them. And so the agreement is with them. And it's the same with us today, isn't it? We didn't choose to have Jesus come and die. It wasn't our idea, but God does it. And that agreement is with us and for us. And the agreement comes after God's kindness. Now have a look at verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is the uh, Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, and it starts with this. And it's an interesting thing that throughout history there have been different interpretations of what actually... We all know there's ten, because the Bible tells us there's ten. But what are the ten? Is this one of the ten? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, God doesn't wait till people seek him to do something for them, does he? He doesn't wait for people to obey him and then does something. His commands come after his kindness. He's brought these people out and then he says, now be nice. A few years ago, I happened to be um, sitting exam for some sort of Bible college and I remember uh, I was talking about, I think it was about the Ten Commandments and I said how they came after people brought them out and I had on my page ticks everywhere. It was like, I had to write a thousand words or something but writing 10 words that said, the law comes after they were saved, that gave me a pass. And I think that's how it is, isn't it? To understand God. God works that way. He's kind to us and then uh, asks for our obedience, not the other way around. And again, it's the same for Christians. If you turn with me to Romans 12, I'm not sure if I wrote, I didn't write down the page number for this one. Sorry about that. If you find it, please um, just yell out the page number, if you wouldn't mind, of our church Bibles. 1137. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. So Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul in this book of Romans has spent 11 chapters outlining God's great mercy. And he says, therefore, to earn God's mercy? No, he doesn't say that, does he? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We have a God who is loving and kind. He's loving and kind in the New Testament. He's loving and kind in the Old Testament. And that's how he brings it. But the second thing that is raised by this um, verse 6 of Deuteronomy 5... See, notice who it's to. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Well, I don't know about you, but I wasn't brought out of Egypt. I wasn't brought out of the land of, e- out of, the land of slavery. So I wonder, what do you think, how does this relate to us? How do these passages relate to Christians? It almost feels like a funny question to ask, doesn't it? Is this to us? And I want to say the answer is not quite as straightforward as it might seem. I want to say that the answer is uh, yes and no. The answer is both yes and 
No. Yes, these are wise commands. We saw how good they were. They're righteous. When, when Israel lives like this, nations around will see it and go, hey, wow, this is a wise nation. Um, yes, they're also ours because in it they show God's character. For example, the second half of verse 9, describes, God describes himself as a jealous God. So we learn who God is from the commandments. The very nature of the commandments shows who God is. So yes, they are for us. And yes, I think as Christians, we say all scripture uh, is God-breathed. All scripture is useful. So of course they're for us. Another reason we say yes, they are for us, is that uh, these commandments help us to understand what God wants. What God wants from those people then, that is. Um, So when we see how they act, um, we can understand what that means for us. So let me show you. 1 Corinthians 10, um, verse 6, which is on, I have the page for this one, 1149. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, page 1149. So... Here, um, Paul is talking about the history of Israel, what happened to them. Uh, For example, verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. And so it goes on. So these are, the Old Testament is not just a thing of history. It's a warning to us and an encouragement to us. And for us to understand those warnings and encouragements, it's very helpful to us to know the laws. It really does hurt, help. Have you ever um, seen a parent, or perhaps you've been that parent, um, when a child has done something seemingly minor, like walk across a road, seen, or been the parent, go absolutely nuts at the child. You think, why do they do that? Surely it's not that bad. But the reality is, that parent... I have been that parent, I wonder if you have, um, has just said to that child, do not cross the road. And so the very thing they do, as soon as they see you look the other way, straight across. Um, and it's a bit like that with us. As we, as we look at these commands, I mean, the very, first, the, the very first or second one, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in earth or in heaven. The very first thing the Israelites did after getting this was to make a golden calf. So it really helps us to understand just how bad we are when we see these commands and how they are. And we take warning from that. Sorry, I'm sitting to pull this off. So, so that's the yes side. Yes, they are for us in many ways. Yes, they're all God-breathed. Yes, um, they're important examples for us to, to learn from and to follow. But I want to say no as well. Um, no, starting with Matthew 5. That's a familiar passage to many of us. Matthew 5, page 969. Matthew 5, verse 17. Uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he goes on, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest let it nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? When is everything accomplished? I take it that's when Jesus dies. Um, so he fulfills the law. Um, and that's one aspect of it. 
We flick over to Romans 13, page 1138. If you're following these Bibles, Romans 13, page 1138, verses 9 and 10. I'll just pick up verse 10 at the moment. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. That's almost like the law itself almost can't work and it is being fulfilled. Fulfilled by Jesus who lives it perfectly um, and love being the fulfilment of it. That's where it's uh, being driven. Those bits before it talk about various other commands and all summed up, it says at the end of verse 9, in one command, love your neighbour as yourself. And the, and the idea of this... Um, law going on and being fulfilled and, and being changed becomes even stronger. Uh, for example, page 1174, Ephesians 2, verse 15. Page 117, which we looked at a little while ago um, in church. I'll just start from verse 14. Uh, Paul is speaking. He says, For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. You notice that? What has he set aside? He has set aside the law. Not parts of the law, not bits of the law, not the bits that are no longer unimportant or the sacrificial parts. He has actually set aside the law. That's what I want to say. Uh, yes, the Ten Commandments are for us. They're very important. They're important in the historical uh, context of Israel. Um, but, but we must be careful. They have been set aside. They have been abolished. Uh, Hebrews 8.13, we'll come to that later this morning, calls them uh, obsolete. The old covenant is now obsolete. There is a new one. Now some people will say, well, but these commands are special. There is the law, but there are the Ten Commandments, and they are special. They are the moral law. Um, now nowadays there's a lot of it that is moral, and it's important, but I want to say not all of it. Um, the Sabbath in particular, I want to look at. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So page 1183, Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So I want to suggest that actually the Sabbath, um, being no longer an essential thing, being a shadow of something that was to come, is now past. The reality is in Christ. So I want to say the Ten Commandments, are they for us? Well, yes and no. Um, they're a very important part of the Bible, but they're not absolutely central to Christian living. If we were to choose a passage, say we wanted to put a passage up and say, Trinity Bay, and then put a, some Bible verses underneath it to show who we were, um, what represents us. I would say let's not put the Ten Commandments there. Let's put, say, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. Or if we want to put up a, a passage that 
inspires us to live properly. Um, perhaps a passage that calls us to love others. Uh, like John 13, 34 and 35, which talk about, um, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. But this is our God. This is our God who gives this. So, and the new covenant is a fulfilment of the old one. So there's still much to learn there. So I wonder if you're sitting there and saying, Jeff, if the Ten Commandments aren't central to Christian living, um, can I commit adultery? Can I steal? And of course I'm going to say no. No, we, we serve the same God um, as the God back then. Um, much in the new agreement, the new covenant, the new testament, is the same as in the old covenant, old testament. Um, it's, it's like the laws, isn't it? I mean, they're all, we all come under love now, and those laws are generally uh, loving. And in laws... One law can get removed and often replaced by another. Uh, I do a fair bit of work in workers' compensation. And two years ago, the Workers' Rehabilitation and Compensation Act in South Australia uh, was removed. Repealed, I think is the word they used. It's gotten rid of, no longer exists. So does that mean that if I get injured at work, I have to pay for my own surgery? No. Um, it was put in by a new act. Um, Ethan, I think I've got a slide there. There we go. So we've got... Um, Paid income, a little table. Paid income if unable to work due to injury. Under the old Act, yes, you did get that. Under the new Act, yes, during the first two years. And you can receive a lump sum if your injury is permanent. Get paid medical expenses uh, within the time frame. Yes, under the old Act. Yes, under the new Act. Uh, paid lump sum if, the, if it's a significant and permanent injury. And again, yes and yes. So... While one act was abolished, got rid of, repealed, um, the new act um, covers much the same things in a slightly different way. And it's a bit like that with us. Thank you, Ethan. There's the old agreement, the Ten Commandments. Is it okay to commit adultery under the old agreement? No. Is it okay under the new agreement? No. Is it okay to murder? Of course, you know the answer. No and no. Is it okay to steal? No and no. So please don't hear me saying... Ten Commandments have been abolished, therefore we can live how we like. It's just not the case. Um, we as Christians live under Jesus. But I think it does matter, and I'll come to that a bit more later. So, um, having gone through that rather long preamble, thinking about the place of uh, the Ten Commandments for us, I want to have a look at these commandments themselves. And uh, one thing that's interesting about looking at the commandments is how they start. They start not with us, but with God. God follows the first things first principle, I take it. And he says what's most important is how we regard him, not how we regard our neighbour. So verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. When I was young, a lot of the people of my parents' age, possibly people my parents' age still do, um, regard the Ten Commandments as important. They'll go so far as to say they live by the Ten Commandments. I think what they generally meant by that was they didn't steal, they didn't murder, they didn't commit adultery. But notice that's not where the Ten Commandments start. The Ten Commandments start with, you shall have no other gods before me. Martin Luther said that this commandment is the basis of all the commandments. He said, because if you follow this, 
then everything else will just flow out, won't it? But if you don't do this, well, you're trusting in something else, you live for something else, you do other things. You shall have no other gods before me. And this um, passage then goes on and shows us God's character. Verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, it's not like God is saying, oh, you can live how you like. It's not like God is just pleased with the time that we spend thinking about him. He's a jealous God. He wants us all. He doesn't want us uh, going and worshipping with the neighbours and then coming to him. He's a jealous God. He wants us. And he wants us all. And when we think about that in the New Testament sense, um, we come to see that Jesus is much the same. In Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39, which is on page 975 of these Bibles, Nine seven five Matthew ten thirty seven to thirty nine, Jesus puts it this way: Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So in the Old Testament, we meet a God who is a jealous God who wants us. And wants us to follow him only. In the New Testament, we meet a jealous God who wants us to follow him only and to count everything else um, as worth nothing, even our own lives. And it's interesting, isn't it, that some of the tempting alternatives to God are good things. Are good things like money or health or family. They're good things to have. But Jesus is saying we can't have them first. And God says we must have no other gods before him. For he is a jealous God. Well, having told us um, how to regard, how God wants us to regard God, he then goes on how to take his name. He says, verse 11, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And I think we've all heard people who use um, God and Jesus Christ as a swear word. And I'm no doubt that God is not happy with that. Um, Jesus prays and teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer that God's name will be regarded. And I think he wants that. But God also hates it when people use his name as though it's going to do them some good, as though the name alone will help them. Um, The Israelites will do that. And again, it's interesting to look at that in the light of all the various commandments. On page 760 of these church Bibles, Jeremiah 7 Um, shows us an example, page 760. Jeremiah 7, verse 4. And this is God speaking. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Don't do that. Bring it, picking it up from verse 9. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. 
has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. See, if we're going to bear God's name, if we are his people, it is a misuse of that to somehow claim that we'll be okay. We can do what we like. We can commit adultery and we'll be okay. It's not the way, is it? God says, no, remember what happened to the place where I first put my name in Shiloh. That got destroyed because of wickedness. And Jesus picks up the same idea um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, page 972. If you'd like to follow with me. Matthew chapter 7 from verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It is a misuse of God's name to claim special things for it. It is a misuse of Jesus' name to say that just by doing it, we'll be right. God wants us to follow his will. And he has special anger for those who put his name to stuff, but don't actually live it out. So let's not think that by naming God or Jesus that we'll be okay. That was misusing the name then, and be misusing it now. We can't just think that our prayers are suddenly good because we say, in Jesus' name, at the end of them. God doesn't see it that way, does he? Well, having stated how we should um, relate to God, the commandments start moving towards people, uh, but still about God. For we see the Sabbath commandment. Uh, Same for verse 12. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. Then there's the reason. So that your male and female servants may rest as you do. I think it's fair to say that rest is a good thing. Um, God shows us his reason for the Sabbath. And not only for you keeping the Sabbath, but for everyone keeping the Sabbath. So that everyone may rest. Now I think there's two ways to take the Sabbath, and we'll have a look at Romans 14 in a moment. Um, I don't think we can say it doesn't really matter. The Sabbath here is, it's an instruction, isn't it? It's a command. It's It's not a suggestion. We can either say it's abolished, and say we can move on, or we don't. Please turn with me to Romans 14, page 1138. Romans 14, uh, page 1138, from verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And so on it goes. So I take it that 
um, this Old Testament, having been around for so long, it would have had an influence on many people and they couldn't get around the thought that all days were the same. That's sort of the weaker and the stronger brother thing. Uh, but for many of us, we can see all days are the same. So what I want to say to us is, um, please let's not put burdens on others that God hasn't put. In terms of jobs that require you to work Sundays, um, not emergency type jobs, that is. Um, because we don't want to load people with, with burdens that God hasn't put on them. I think it's right to say um, Sabbaths have been abolished. I think it's right also to have a rest. And if you're uh, responsible for someone, to ensure that they get the opportunity to have a rest too. Um, that's the kindness of the, the Sabbath commandment in the Ten Commandments. But I think it'd be wrong to say, you shall not work Sunday. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches uh, to Christians. Yes, I think we need to think hard about how we meet with other Christians, and Sunday is generally the day that Christians meet. And we need to think hard from that angle. But I don't think we can say, you shall not do that job because, um, because it means you have to work Sunday in that job. Well, back to the other commands um, in Deuteronomy. They're all very wise. Uh, they're all applied by Jesus to the heart, and they're all loving. Uh, Romans 13 describes them this way. So if you, if you did happen to keep your finger in, uh, page 1138, um, starting from verse 8, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. See, in, in many ways, I remember uh, I was talking to Luke Woodhouse about this some time ago. He said the Ten Commandments are incredibly obvious to Christians. We know what it's like. If we love others, we're not going to hurt them. It's obvious we're not going to steal. It's obvious we're not going to commit adultery. It's obviously uh, we're not going to murder. And I think it's also obvious uh, that we're not going to, to covet in an inappropriate way. It's interesting that, that one in verse 21, you should not covet your neighbour's wife, you should not set your desire on your neighbour's house. I want to say covet and desire are not bad things. Um, we often say, I covet your prayers for something. Uh, Jesus said he eagerly desired to eat uh, the meal with his disciples uh, before he was crucified. But the problem with this coveting is what we're coveting. You should not covet your neighbour's wife, you should not co- set your desire on your neighbour's house, and then finally, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. It's most loving, isn't it, to not desire what other people have. So those commands, um, there's a lot of them. They're very uh, difficult to follow. Uh, what's the response? Well, the response uh, of the Israelites who've heard this, uh, verse 25, is fear. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we'll die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. They're afraid. And God thinks this is a good thing. He says, verse 29, Oh, that the hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it may go well with them and with their children forever. Yes, God wants people to fear him. But, but notice that. Oh, that they would fear me. It's almost like God's wishful thinking, isn't it? He's seen the record of their fathers, the record of turning so fast away. 
And of course, we see later that the Israelites do, in fact, um, turn away from God. But the response that's required from them is to be obedient all the time. Verse 32, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not discern aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. What's required of the Israelites is to do everything. And as we look at that, we can just shudder, really, can't we? But we can also be incredibly grateful that there's been a new agreement. See, for us, these commands help us to understand what God is like. They help us to understand what a life of love looks like. Uh, But mostly they show how grateful we should be for the new covenant that God has made. Um, Please turn with me to Hebrews 8, page 1209. This is the last um, place we'll be. Hebrews 8, I want to read verses 7 to 12. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful in my covenant, and I turned away from them. See, that's the problem with that old covenant, isn't it? We're not going to, people are not going to remain faithful. People are going to turn away, and then God will turn away. But there's better news from verse 10. This is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For... I'll forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the covenant we really need, isn't it? The agreement where God says, I'll forgive their wickedness. I'll remember their sins no more. It's not the one where you must obey God to stay um, in the land, but where God looks after us, where he writes the law on our hearts and minds, and more importantly, where he forgives us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you've been so incredibly kind to us. Um, Thank you that even though we do not live up to your uh, righteous and proper standards, um, that you care for us, you sent your son to die for us, and then you forgive us. Amen.